One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. Tim is out this week and I'm joined by Dave from Dave Lee Down Under. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you. And we're going to talk Fantastic Beasts this week. In this third film in the Fantastic Beasts franchise, the wizarding world is under threat from the powerful dark wizard Grindelwald and Dumbledore knows he cannot fight him alone. Under the leadership of magi-zoologist Newt Scamander... Dumbledore assembles a group of wizards, witches, and one muggle to fight his enemy's growing legion of followers. Secrets of Dumbledore is directed by David Yates from a screenplay by Steve Cloves based on a screenplay by J.K. Rowling, and the movie stars Mads Mikkelsen, Jude Law, Ezra Miller, Eddie Redmayne, Catherine Waterston, Alison Sudol, Dan Fogler, Callum Turner, and Jessica Williams. So, Dave, let's jump into this third film in the franchise. Can you explain to me, what is this third film about? Well, this third film in the Fantastic Beasts trilogy, well, it's in the title, really, The Secrets of Dumbledore. We get to really delve into this kind of backstory with Albus Dumbledore, of course. The film focuses really a bit more heavily, I found, on, on Dumbledore than Newt Scamander, Uh, who has, of course, been sort of the leading character of this franchise so far. And I feel like maybe it's a little bit of a course correction from the previous films, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Yes. Um, But this one sort of really delves into sort of the more Harry Potter lore of this world. Mm. I I don't know how much to say without, like, spoiling it for everyone out there, but we really delve into the past relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald and perhaps a lot more into the reasons why Grindelwald is trying to destroy the wizarding world or whatever and and pulling together his band of um, criminal thieves to kind of, you know, overthrow. And we've, of course, got Dumbledore sets 
Newt Scamander up on the task of forming his own band of heroes to go up against uh, Grindelwald and his team. Mm. So I found it was almost a little bit like sort of that classic Western trope where you've got the hero comes in and has to band together a team to go up against, you know, the banditos or the, the people who are trying to take over the town yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I, th- I suppose, without giving away too many spoilers, that's what we're getting into with this one. Yeah, you say it's in the title, but was The Secrets of Dumbledore really about Dumbledore. I found it hard to understand what the focus is of this film. And I like that phrase that you used a minute ago, course correction. Mm -hmm. I feel like at this point, Fantastic Beasts doesn't know what it wants to be about. Mm -hmm. You know, with Harry Potter, which is such a huge franchise, so successful, J.K. Rowling had the whole thing planned. You know, we had the books were already mostly published. But then this one feels like they're flying by the seat of their pants almost and changing direction based on the audience reception. You know, they're firefighting instead of building a world as meticulously as the fans demand. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. That's exact. That was exactly my thought watching this because I know they brought in a second writer to kind of tighten up the script because Rowling wrote the script. They brought another writer to kind of fix it up a little bit. And what I was wondering whether Rowling did write the whole lot, I think it's supposed to be five films, whether she did write the five of them and now the studio is kind of mandating, Mm. let's go in and fix them up because of the reaction to the last film. Or whether, yeah, they're just going by the seat of their pants. And this is the same thing we saw happen with the Star Wars franchise recently, which is let's just do it as we go along and, you know, course correct, judging by how the audience reacts to to the film. Sort of give what the audience wants and not particularly what the story sort of dictates towards. Yeah. Or if it is even dictating towards anything to begin with. Yeah, well, in the beginning it seemed like it was all going to be about Credence and who he is. And then, of course, at the end of the last film we discovered, spoiler alert, he's a Dumbledore. I feel like in this film they dropped that storyline off. There's so many subplots going on in this franchise at this point that, You don't know where to look. And I thought, okay, The Secrets of Dumbledore is going to be more about Dumbledore and Grindelwald. And it was, it definitely was, but I think they really could have gone there more. You know what I mean? They've thrown in this token relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald that they just fluttered on in the last couple of films. Now they've found that the fans actually want it. They're actually happy about it. So they want to lean into it a bit more. But they didn't really go there in this film. And I was so disappointed in that. No, I totally agree. I think... If you want to talk about Crimes of Grindelwald, which I really, really disliked. Right. I thought it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. I, I, would, I won't even go back and rewatch it. <laughs> but that, particularly that one, yes, so many different things going on at once. It's just like overwhelming. Yeah. You don't know what to focus on. Um, this one, I feel like it kind of takes a few of those threads however many threads there are kind of tries to tie them up a little bit and then push them in the background and go you know don't worry about that yeah don't worry about this one let's just find this one lane that we want to go yeah um i I think that's something i really liked about this is that it did really try to pick one lane or maybe two or three lanes and just go okay let's try and course correct this franchise to kind of focus on maybe a little bit less Mm. Maybe we'll pick back up on these other things later, but for now let's just kind of maybe forget that they they happened. But you're right, it is kind of maybe a little bit of a messy way to build a franchise like this. Another thing that they forgot about was the whole death of Leader Lestrange as well. You know, Theseus 
Scamander yeah. didn't seem all that bothered. You know, his fiance died in the last film and there is no character development yeah. surrounding that whatsoever. Queenie and Jacob, they're two of my favourite characters in this film, actually, in this film franchise, and they're pushed to the side as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Jacob is more of a focus in this film and I didn't understand why. Yeah, I don't know either. And, of course, you've got Tina, who's barely in the thing. Yes. People have been asking because Catherine Waterston hasn't been on any of the posters. She hasn't been in the trailers. But they've been saying, yeah, yeah, she's in the movie. And she's, don't go into this expecting her to really be in it at all. And she's the female lead. She's the love interest for Newt Scamander. It was a whole thing that's been built up over these films. And she's not even there. It's crazy. I found that. I probably found that the weirdest of all. Because she does. She does come into it again without spoilers, but it's in this way where you're kind of like, is that it? Yeah. Is that really all we're going to... Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you look at the posters for the first film or the video, the DVD covers or anything, and she's straight there on the cover, you know? And then this one, it's like, it's like you said, it's like there's just so much going on, and I think this one just really wants to go, let's just focus in this one yeah. direction. But is it a detriment of everything else in some respect? Well, let's talk about Mads Mikkelsen as Grindelwald because yes. obviously this was the biggest controversy around this film. The role of Gilbert Grindelwald was recast. Mads Mikkelsen was brought on to take over the role after Johnny Depp was removed following abuse allegations. What did you think of his performance as Gilbert Grindelwald? I thought it was great. I thought he was terrific. I liked him a lot better. Yeah, I think I'm watching thinking, why didn't they just cast him from the beginning? Like, he's perfect. Johnny Depp, I have loved as a performer for as long as I can remember. But ever since prior to the Caribbean, and this is a phrase that I use all the time, it's Johnny Depp as Johnny Depp playing Johnny Depp. <laughs> right. It's doing some sort of, like, empty shell version of the Jack Sparrow character. Like the Lone Ranger, like Tonto is just Jack Sparrow, but in the <laughs> Old West. You've got his Grindelwald was very much just that Jack Sparrow kind of, like, very eccentric, and I never really thought that performance worked that well. Okay. So I was always on board with, all right, do what you got to do, and I think Mads Mikkelsen was the perfect choice. Choice. He's he's legitimately terrifying. Yeah. I think adds a lot more substance and depth to this character. And it's a character that I feel like I want to know more about now, I want to yeah. see more from. Yeah, Johnny Depp had this skill at making Grindelwald a complete fantasy character. Mm-hmm. Not cartoonish. Yeah. I don't want to say cartoonish, but it was more fantastical. I like this Grindelwald better because, yeah, Mads feels more menacing, more charismatic. Yeah. And I feel like he's a better match for Jude Law's Dumbledore. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I like that they lent into their love story a little more. But as I said, it's just not enough to be meaningful. It felt like an afterthought, yeah. a little bit forced. And that's nothing to do with the performances. It's just that they haven't given it enough time or development. But it was, I think it was a good move. They bring Mickelson in immediately in the first scene, I think, or the first couple of yeah. scenes so that we acclimate to this new actor in the role straight away. I think that was a really good move. I like the fact that they didn't do some like, oh, hey, why do you look different now? It, you know, the character has this ability to shapeshift because he was Colin Farrell in the first film. Um, and they didn't even, you know, use that as kind of an out, like, oh, this is why he looks different now. He shapeshifted again. They were just like, all right, this is Grindelwald. Yeah. This has always been Grindelwald. <laughs> just forget about everything else. Yeah. I think that was a pretty good move, actually, too. They obviously they had to recast it or they recast at the very last minute and they still made the movie they wanted to make. 
but yeah, I think he was. I think he was terrific. And as you said, Johnny Depp just very fantastical. Never felt menacing in the role. Yep. Whereas Mads Mikkelsen brings this really sort of dictator kind of feel to the performance, but he also has a lot of heart as well. So it's like that multi-layered. Yeah. I never really got that from Johnny Depp's performance. They don't explain that one away, but they do explain Tina Goldstein away. I think they do a throwaway line that she's busy because she's been promoted at the, the Magical mm-hmm. Aura office or something yeah. stupid like that. Yeah. Really? Really? In such a big yeah. battle she couldn't take a couple of days off to apparate over here? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh, I'm sure there's a reason for that. Like there has to be a bigger reason why she wasn't involved, whether it's scheduling conflicts or something else. I don't know. Yeah, I I have no idea but she was definitely felt like she'd been written out it didn't feel like a organic sort of thing to the story it literally felt like she had been written out for some reason but she has come out now and said that she is going to be in the next one maybe there is a reason who knows <laughs> speaking of the characters and their performances I mentioned Queenie and Jacob before, Alison Sudol and Dan Fogler. They interest me the most as characters in this whole film, which is kind of a problem because they're a supporting subplot. When you find yourself more mm-hmm. interested in the supporting cast than the main cast, yeah. it's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I just wanted more of them in this film. I wanted more of their relationship and they didn't yeah. really give us that either. They gave us Jacob pining for Queenie and just not really much else until the very end. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It's like so many of these things almost get thrown in as an after afterthought or it's almost like, oh, we have to do something with this. What do we do? Um, I, I thought so too because their, their relationship, particularly at this point, is so interesting and it's so just this really tricky sort of relationship where, of course, Queenie has jumped onto the other side and it's these this real inner conflict between the mm. two of them on so many different levels. But then I feel like they don't really do much with it and then almost sort of... Again, not spoilers, but the way it resolves itself or, you know, comes to a head at the end is kind of a little anticlimactic, maybe. They also made out that Jacob was super important. Yeah. And then also didn't give really any time to that. Yeah. I thought it was a bit strange. Like, as we said before, they're tying up all these threads really quickly and sort of shoving them to the side so they can move on with a more cohesive story. But then they also introduced new things. And you're like, what? Huh? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I couldn't give a toss about the Credence storyline. No. And that was what this whole franchise was built on. Yeah, I agree. And the way they, again, it's another one of those things where they just spend so little time on it and it feels so inessential to the plot. It feels so disconnected to anything else that's going on. And it's almost like what I said before, tie that end, throw it in the background. And if we come back to it later, we come back to it. But yeah, I thought when you've got Ezra Miller on the screen, Credence, I'm not interested in this move on (laughs) next he lost his importance and answer me this right riddle me this dave where is nagini the snake lady where did she disappear to yeah don't know (laughs) she's kind of important isn't she she was this massive thing from harry potter folklore and she was credence's like bestie or something i don't know she's gone where is she disappeared with the credence (laughs) storyline somewhere out there. Yeah, it sounds like we're pounding on this film quite hard, but there were some really nice moments I'd like to talk about. Okay, so the visual effects and the magic. We've got to talk about the magic. There are some really spectacular magical scenes in this film, but unfortunately, 
it's not in the major battles. Yeah, right. How did you feel about the climactic battles? I liked them. Again, look, I will say I quite enjoyed the movie. But as, as we've said, there's a few just sort of narrative issues with it. I thought a lot of like the sort of duels and stuff were really great. There's some really great moments. But a lot of it does feel a little anticlimactic again. A lot of it wraps itself mm. up pretty neatly, pretty quickly. And if you want to apply that to the finale of the movie you know perhaps so like i did like sort of the jewels and stuff we did get in there so i thought that was probably some of the best we've had from the franchise but they don't do anywhere near enough with it yeah i particularly want to point out professor hicks who got more screen time in this film i think she was a cameo in the last one played by jessica williams she's a charmed Mm -hmm. teacher and seeing her defensive magic play out on screen i think was the best part of the film even better than the climactic battles it was magical amazing i love I think her introductory, the first scene where she comes in is my favourite part of the film. She's incredible. Jessica Williams is wonderful in this role. And she just brings something really special to the movie. And I said in my social media reaction of the day, every scene she's in, she steals it. Not just as an actress, but this character is, I think, really interesting. I'd like to see them do more with her going forward for sure. Yeah, it's interesting that she's just appeared now, but I'm glad that she did. And yeah, some of her magical scenes in particular... The special effects were phenomenal and I really enjoyed it. You know, the one thing with any of these films, even in the Harry Potter films, the CGI when it comes to humans is pretty subpar. Yeah. I'm not sure why it hasn't evolved since then, but off in the distance in this film, there's someone being knocked away magically and it just doesn't look right. Like it reminds me of when, you know, Harry Potter is on the broom and getting knocked around and it just, it doesn't quite look real. Yet the magical creatures are wonderful. It's, It's a weird thing. There's always been, this thing about animating humans that has always been difficult and this like even goes back to the 1920s 1930s where artists at the disney studio struggled to draw human characters whereas fantastical characters they could draw so well and animals and whatever else you know it's the reason snow white and the seven dwarfs the dwarfs were so fantastical they had so much trouble animating snow white and the prince and that has somehow translated over into cg animation where whenever they try to do something with a human character you can tell yeah like that is cgi and like it could be really great cgi but there's just still something about it that doesn't feel real whereas they can make a creature it just looks great. Yeah. It looks real. It looks like it belongs. But once you apply that to a human, there's just something. I think it could even be a psychological thing where your brain goes, no, that's <laughs> not that. I can believe this little weird hedgehog thing crawling around, but I don't believe yeah. this. That's not a human. That's this weird sort of thing. This little niffler hiding in Newt's jacket or the bow truckle popping out of yeah. his pocket or the um the manticores, is that what they were called with the little, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. little crab, crab things? things? Yeah. Oh my god, so <laughs> funny. Uh, there's some video from our premiere here in Sydney of, of me doing a manticore swivel <laughs> like Newt's commander, which I may or may not share, Love I'm not it. sure. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta. Do you want to talk about anything else from the film, anything that stood out to you? I think we've covered most of it, but Mm. yeah, look, I I enjoyed it. 
I did enjoy it, but the, you know, again, there's just so many just little things that you can have, you know, small issues with. I would have liked Newt Scamander maybe to have a bigger role. Again, he was someone mm. who was, I feel, pushed back a little bit. He's the lead of this franchise. Yeah. And then you get to this movie where they're trying to push in maybe a different direction. Maybe they're trying to make Dumbledore the lead now. I don't know, but it feels like maybe uh, Newt was underutilised. I mean, he's in it a lot. He is, you know, still the lead or one of the leads of the movie. But I feel like maybe he was just underutilised a little bit. He wasn't given a lot to do in the film. That's the only really other observation I yeah. have there, I think. No, I agree. And it is strange because it's Fantastic Beasts. And, you know, he he literally wrote the book on Fantastic Beasts. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one thing I want to say is this film is pretty dark. I know, I know Harry Potter becomes quite dark towards the end, but you get to build up to it. This one <laughs> felt like yeah. they were using shock tactics to manipulate people's emotions. Yeah. I mean, without going into too much detail, there's a bit of animal torture. There's some really dark stuff. And it kind of has yeah. to be dark, but I feel like did it need to be that dark for such a family franchise? Yeah. Well, the thing with the Harry Potters is that uh, Rowling wrote the books to age with her audience. Mm. So I was in the demographic where I read Philosopher's Stone when it first came out. So, you know, I'd read the first few books before they were ever films. I was growing up with the characters as she wrote the books. So she wrote each book a little bit darker, a little bit more mature as her audience grew up. Yeah. Um, so then the observation that you go so dark so quickly in this film is completely on the ball because it's like it doesn't have that six book or seven film build up and I feel like again that's part of this course correction where they've gone well maybe the last one or the last two were just a little bit too light maybe they were too whimsical maybe the audience wants something a little bit darker Mm. but I did find yeah it is very very dark and I think younger the younger ones in particular might have a tough time with it particularly moments that you mentioned just mm. before but yeah it was it was weird to have it happen you know so quickly i think it didn't need to be dark i think it needed to just be deeper we needed the deeper connection mm-hmm. between the characters a bit yeah. more development and as we've already said a million times just not so many subplots but um let's wrap up our review of fantastic beasts sure there are some really wonderful elements in this film but they just aren't working together cohesively the fantastic beasts franchise has become convoluted split across too many subplots and it really pains me to say that I don't know if it's salvageable. Perhaps if they drop a few straggling storylines for the next one they can focus on really bumping up the elements that fans want from these films and that's spectacular battles, high stakes stories and time spent delving into the connections between the characters that we care about and their development. I have mixed feelings about the film. It was It was fairly enjoyable. I know I've torn it apart a little bit, but it is flawed. I'm going to give The Secrets of Dumbledore two and a half popcorn kernels. All right. Well, as I said, I really, I enjoyed it for the most part because it tries to do something different and it tries to take the franchise in a direction it probably should have been going the whole time. Because it has had such a messy start, I do agree with you, it is something that is going to be hard to salvage for a lot of the audience. But at the end of the day, I think the way that they have realised this is what we need to do, this is now the direction we need to go, I think it salvages it just a little bit for me and I think it makes it a little bit more enjoyable for me. And 
I am actually going into this one, I had no interest. I'm very keen to see what they do with the next film. And because I got quite a bit of enjoyment out of it, a lot of great, as we said, magical sequences, a lot of great characters and stuff going in here, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and I'll be giving it a three and a half. Oh, three and a half. There you go, guys. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore apparates into Australian cinemas from April 7. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Dave. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. Can you tell the people where they can find you? Sure thing. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, You can, of course, find me over on YouTube at Dave Lee Down Under. I'm posting a couple of times a week. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and all the usual letterboxed, all that kind of places. Just search Dave Lee Down Under and I'll pop up. Thanks for having me again. No worries. It's been a pleasure. And I do want to highlight that you actually got to speak to some of the cast. So make sure you go over to Dave's YouTube channel and check that out because it's great content. Great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.